0: Week 11 in the Pac-12 was unpredictable per usual. You cannot pick a winner in this conference. We're going to talk about the college football playoff. Who's in, who's out, and can the Pac-12 make it? And of course, the Pac-12 power rankings. And how about that damn game of the century that the propaganda machine put out? I got at least five games that I've seen this year that are better than that one. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. Tell a friend about the podcast, share it, and of course, subscribe and leave a rating as well. And also, if you guys have any comments, you guys send it to us, imad, I-M-A-D, at unafraidshow.com, and we will always get to it. Let's get to the show. Ralph, before we even get started today, man, I got to give props to the Oregon women's basketball team. Dude, they play Team USA. And this this was not who the Globetrotters play with the Washington Generals. No, this is Diana Taurasi. You got Sue Bird. You got uh, Skylar Diggins. They had real players on the court. And you had uh, Ruthie Hubbard. You had Sabrina INSQ. Uh Sable, all these girls who are the ranked the number 1 team in the country coming in and they beat them came back in the second half. What was your take on that, Ralph? Um well,
1: first of all, Sabrina Ionescu is like the greatest women's basketball player. Uh I I don't know. I I Brittany Griner uh Deldon, like that. There's good players. Tarasi, there's really good players. But like, as far as people who have become a star in college and haven't had UConn across their chest or Baylor, like I, she, she's the best. I think this just goes to increase her legend. Obviously, the game doesn't mean anything, um, but I, that just brings me back to the fact that like Team USA and and basketball is not like soccer where there's always these friendly matches or whatever. Um, but when you have these exhibitions, it feels like there's only downside. Like, there's, that what what's worse for America than like the, you know, liberal arts school in the Pacific Northwest taking down the American flag? Like that's. <laughs> I just feel I just feel like there's no there's no upside to it. What was cool, watching like watching the Oregon women's basketball team celebrate a game that doesn't like. Doesn't really matter for anything, but they were so hyped that that part of it was pretty cool. But then I was like, "Oh crap! Like this is Team USA, and you know, d- America's women—they don't—they don't lose on the on the national uh, on Never. the national stage to other countries." But it was just like, "Oh come on!" <laughs> like, like yeah, you you like to think of them as as invincible, and you know, it's just a tune-up game or whatever. But maybe that goes to show you how good uh, Oregon's women are going to be this year in. Uh, Uh, on the Pac-12 slate, but yeah, that was, I have mixed feelings. Let's just put it that way.
0: Yeah, and it's not even just like, Oregon's really good, obviously, but as Sabrina, like she pulled, if you guys seen the the highlights, she pulled up from half court, which is absolutely awesome. Like she was Steph Curry, but the entire Pac-12 is good. Oregon State's really good. UCLA's good. I mean, there are so many teams, uh, uh, Stanford, I think there are four Pac-12 teams ranked in the top 10 right now. It's absolutely incredible. They are the SEC football of, of basketball. But we wanted to. Yeah, get- so check
1: check this out real quick though. So because Diana Taurasi, I guess, went spoke to the women the night before, and she told them like the message was stay mad. And so they came out uh and and uh and that was their chant. Like they were um they were down four at half. And they came out and they did that, like they got all together and they're like, stay mad. And then they went out and won the game. And it just made me wonder, like, what I I've I've heard of there's some really, really good team chants or whatever. And I don't know if you had any, you're playing in the NFL college or whatever. But my favorite one of all time is I can't remember the the women's basketball team. I'm looking it up right now. But there was a women's basketball team that had a chant eat kids. And it just meant like be, be ruthless. I was wondering what like your bet your your favorite example of any like team chant or team moniker was that you had ever heard of?
0: Oh man. The, the best one was from the program. Kill them all. Let the paramedics sort them out. I was like, geez. Okay. <laughs> I guess that's how you kill them all. Yeah. Kill them all. Let the paramedics sort them out. That was one of the greatest lines of all time in, in, in football history. And, um,
1: that's funny.
0: I mean, think and, but I love that eat kids one. Cause that reminds me of Mike Tyson. When he was talking about uh, who was he talking about, uh, Evander Holyfield or Lennox Lewis? When when he was like, "I want to eat his heart, I want to eat his children, eat his children." I mean, like, yeah, yeah, that's scary. <laughs> so that so that that's where they
1: got it from. That's where they got it from was they they watched the Mike Tyson thing. Okay, so I found it. Ready? The battle cry of the Maryland Terrapins women's basketball squad is well documented. Uh, for whatever reason, these girls chant "Eat Kids" and break every huddle with one, two, three, "Eat Kids." And they and and uh, I, this was um, back in 2009, so this is 10 years ago. And I guess they had just preseasoned. they had watched a video of that Mike Tyson speech, and so that was their version of being ruthless. And I thought to this day, Maryland women's basketball had like the greatest chant of all time. Yeah. But it's, stay mad is good but it's not it's no eat yeah
0: and, and it's funny because like men's sports typically don't have chants like that it's normally women's basketball volleyball softball has a ton of them they just they just they're they sound like they're doing um you know um, hindu hymns all game or or catholic hymns all game uh, uh, like they just go all doggone game hey girl let's go <laughs> oh, so but Yesterday in college football, there was the quote unquote game of the century between Alabama and LSU. And before the game started, I, I was so sick of hearing all week, give it a century, gave it a century. It, I, I, it was so frustrating to me because I'm sitting there like, hold up. This is nothing more than the SEC hype machine. This is the SEC hype machine and it was nothing short of propaganda to get two SEC teams in the college football playoff. Because reality was, before the game started, it was one elite team with good wins versus an elite, talented team who had played nobody. You have so many people who are banging on Clemson's schedule. Clemson plays their eight conference games then they scheduled South Carolina a SEC school and they scheduled Texas AM they tried they played 10th power five games Alabama scheduled their eight their eight knock their eight conference games that didn't include Georgia or Florida and they had Duke New Mexico State Western Carolina and Southern Miss but we're talking about Clemson's schedule. Alabama should absolutely be out of the playoff. This was a, a game of the century hype thing. I got at least five games that were better in this game, Ralph.
1: Yeah, I, I never bought into that, George, game of the century. I mean, it's it's just – I mean, it's, and, and if you're bought into the whole SEC hype train, I wouldn't say that I am. I mean, I understand it. But wh- why would this be the game and not every single other year when they've got games where – with two teams in in the top five. Uh, and I think that that probably goes to, to, to what you are speaking about, just like a little bit of a little bit of extra propaganda for this specific matchup. Um, this LSU team is really good. It's really talented. They average something like 8.4 points a game in, in, in Ed Orgeron's first four matchups against Alabama. And obviously they go out yesterday and and, and they just blow the doors off Alabama in the first half and hang on, on to win. Um and then you oh, want to yeah. talk about chance. We were yes. just talking about great chance. How about how about Coach O after the game doing the uh, Roll Tide What F You? Did you catch that one? Yeah, that, that's that got to be up there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it to me it's just another game. I mean, highly ranked teams play each other and somebody has to win. I never really – unless it's a bowl, unless it's a conference championship, I never really buy into any of this stuff. I mean, there have yes. been some absolutely incredible college football games. You know, you want to talk game of the century? Like everything always goes back to you know Texas USC from. Like, were we even were we even going to pretend that this game was in 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 that stratosphere? And what, and what what about it was the three touchdown halftime lead? That that's no. So I don't know it,
0: exactly. It, it was a team who if LSU played Alabama 10 times they would win at least 9 I, of those games LSU I do not just care for the built in season.
1: excuse of tua's ankle but at the same time
0: yeah he was played he yeah. played well like he ended up playing well but the truth is anytime that tua has pressure and does not have wide receivers just running wide open he struggles he's done it against Georgia twice did it against LSU, and he also did it against. Uh, it was w- one other team that he struggled against as, as well. Oh, against Clemson. Same thing. When you get pressure on him, and he doesn't have wide receivers just running wide open and have thirteen seconds to throw the ball. Guess what? He's not as good as he's not as good as everybody makes him out to be. But I thought that that even though the game was very entertaining, there was a lot of drama. All of that it meant a lot. I saw at least five games this year that were at least just as good. I had uh, LSU versus Texas. I'm sorry, Texas versus LSU in the beginning of the year. Another very high-scoring affair. I had um, back and forth. Penn State versus Michigan. Came down to the last play. Another situation. Big halftime lead. Michigan comes back. Loses at the end. Uh, Oregon versus Washington. Great quality football. College football game. UCLA versus Washington State. Probably the game of the year.
1: There you go. There you go. There it is. Yeah, that that I mean, you want to talk about a big halftime lead. How about how about 32 points late in the third? Yeah.
0: And then Notre Dame, Georgia. All of those games were just as good. Like just stop with the SEC hype machine. But that left us in a situation now where you had Penn Penn State, who was number three four in the rankings, they lost to Minnesota, who was clearly underranked. Um, And now, so it's going to be pretty obvious. I think LSU bumps up to number one. I got, in in my uh, college football power rankings, top 12, uh, week 12, as they should be on Unafraid Show, I have LSU one, Ohio State two, Clemson three, I have Oregon four, The reason why I have Oregon four is because I can't put Alabama in it. They have zero quality wins. They're probably not going to make it to the SEC championship. I don't know what to make of this team. They've only played one good team. Like, yes, they've dominated everybody else, but so would everybody else have dominated them. Then I got Alabama six. I'm sorry, Alabama five, Utah six, Georgia seven, Minnesota eight, Oklahoma nine, and Penn state 10. Where does your, uh, Top six or so stand. I know that I know that LSU is kind of
1: by far and away the 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 favorite runaway number one right now. But I think that Ohio State, to me, has shown that they're they're the most complete team. LSU, I think, after the game against Texas and after the game against uh, Alabama, I think that you can, you I think you can say there's some legitimate questions about this defense. What oh, if yeah. the offense has one bad day? You know, can the can the can the defense carry them? Which is a really weird sentence to be saying about the LSU Tigers, uh, but so but I do have them number two. Uh, Clemson, some schedule concerns, uh, I, so I have them at number three. Alabama, on the strength of just having played LSU close, is number four. Even though I don't feel
0: great about it. Uh, and then I would say, yeah, but didn't that game only get close because Jake, uh, because Joe Burrow missed a couple throws in the third yeah. quarter that could have just kept running up the score?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're probably right about that, but I, I, I I'm sitting with uh, Georgia at five, Oregon at six, and those two could probably be, um, probably be interchangeable. Um, but I mean, the, the distance between. Uh, the distance between three and six for me is is negligible. If you scrambled those up, you could probably make an argument for, for anything, but I think right now one, two is probably Ohio State, LSU. That'd be hard to argue with.
0: Oh, I would definitely agree. And And at this point, I do think that there is a big separation between the top three and four through six. I think there's a big gap between... Um, between LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, then I think there's a a couple rungs. E- even though I do think that those teams can beat them, you know on a on a given day under the right circumstances, neutral. You know I do think that those teams can beat them, but you know if if you were doing who wins a hundred times out of a hundred, those three teams are going to beat all the rest of the all the rest of the teams in the top ten way more times than they're not going to. That's what I believe. So- so now if you're Utah or you're
1: Oregon, you're in this special place where you end up fans of like five different teams all all at once because so many things have to work out in your favor. Like if you're an Oregon fan, you are now cheering for Auburn every single oh, yes. week especially coming up. And if you're an Oregon fan, you're cheering for Utah. If you're a Utah fan, you're cheering for Oregon because you want that collision course of two 11-1 teams um, isn't there's, there's a big Georgia matchup
0: coming up too. I'm not sure which Georgia. side. Georgia know, plays can... Auburn and Auburn plays Alabama. So if, so it's crazy. So you, yeah,
1: you're going to be rooting for, for basically wh- whoever's playing against Alabama. Uh, or basically, no, you're rooting for Auburn no, in both no, those games. No, so
0: no, no, Ralph, you're missing something. You are missing something. Okay. So look, if Auburn, so Auburn has no path to the, uh, to the sec west at, at this point like they they would need uh, um alabama well they need they would need to beat alabama and have um lsu collapse and lose three games so but um but okay so imagine this imagine if auburn were to go out and beat georgia who uh, who was ahead of oregon in the college football playoff. And then turn around and beat, um, yeah. And then turn around and beat Alabama. Auburn's sitting at number thirteen. Imagine how far up they would jump. And then Georgia's going to then turn around and play in the SEC championship and probably lose to LSU. So then you you could potentially have Auburn jump back up in front of Oregon. So what you what Oregon really wants is is Georgia to keep winning and then turn around and uh, lose to LSU in the championship and then have Auburn beat Alabama. So then that'll knock Alabama down.
1: Do uh, you really think the committee would be so dumb as to take one good throw at the end of the game uh, from, from Bo Nix to take a two-loss Auburn team over a one-loss conference champion Oregon? They wouldn't do that, would Are they? Are you kidding
0: me? This is this is the this is the committee. This is ESPN who has all the rights to the games, Ralph. You don't think that they're gonna try to I mean, dude, who actually whoever, if they believe Auburn or Oregon, whoever they feel like would draw the best ratings, that's who we get in. That's what I think.
1: Right. But I mean, if if we're going to go conspiracy theory, I mean, it, it'd be far more likely for Utah yes, to get screwed in Oregon.
0: True. Now, that's very true. If if Utah and Oregon finish 11 and one and then Utah wins the Pac-12 championship, they're not going to the playoff. I, I, I think that they get screwed. dude.
1: Even if even if uh, let's say USC wins out, goes eight and four,
0: that would that would help. That would definitely help. But Utah doesn't have the momentum, I don't think, that – I mean, think about it. They would They would have – I mean, there's so much that could possibly happen because Ohio State still has to play Michigan and Penn State. You have uh, – Minnesota still has to play Iowa, Wisconsin, and then the uh, Big Ten Championship if they make it. But if they lose, then they could mess around and then be playing Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin could then be playing the winner of the Big Ten East. So it there's so much that could go on here. but
1: Yeah, if, if Minnesota was to win out and what, they would go to the yeah, championship or, against like yeah. Ohio State. If Minnesota was to win out and beat Ohio State, they'd probably no still way. take the, there's
0: State. there's no – Ralph, if Minnesota – that means that Minnesota would have beaten Penn State – Iowa, Wisconsin, and Ohio State, and you think that the committee would still chew and, and be undefeated, and then? No, I'm saying, I'm oh, saying that, that they would take that could vote. definitely happen. That could definitely happen. Oh my!
1: Yeah, so you'd have like a two a, a dual Big Ten. It, I this does not look good for the Pac-12 right now. You're looking at all these weird situations. There are far more situations where the Pac-12 could get squeezed out. Then there are the literally the only thing it feels like is realistic is for Oregon to have 12 straight wins going into the Yeah, because that's selection. gonna
0: be hard to contend with because you're like That's it. won twelve. 12- but in a in a in a conference where everyone's six and six except for one team, yeah, it's gonna be tough exactly. to make a case. Why can't we have some elite teams? Why can't we have great things right now? <laughs>
1: I don't know. Uh, I, <laughs> we're we're at like twenty some quarterbacks okay, so let's having get started. To, so I, I don't know uh, what to tell you.
0: The Pac-12 power rankings. Where are your power rankings this week, Ralph? All right. So starting
1: at the oh! bottom, I got I've got oh! Washington State, um, it, which which somehow Mike Leach is still impervious and at the center of every. Hiring rumor, which, P.S., I think Arkansas would be a good fit for him. Um, but uh, but like they continue to lose, and people continue to look at Mike <laughs> Leach as a great candidate. That dude is bulletproof. It's amazing. Uh, coming in at number 11 after giving up a record zero points on the bye week is Arizona. Um, I got Stanford at number 10. I don't even know what happened there. Colorado at number nine, fresh off their home win over Stanford. I got uh, Arizona State. Well, first of all, first quarter Arizona State coming in at number 12, uh, but the second through fourth quarter Arizona State comes in at number eight for me. And then uh, my, my, uh, my number seven to round out my bottom six is the Cow Bears. Okay. Uh-
0: I'm the same person. I, I do. I do like to take accountability. So I'm the same person that was roasting you, Ralph, for your outrageous "who beat who" in front of who and all of this stuff. And it is incredible. You cannot depend on anybody to win in the Pac-12. You cannot. Nobody will do what they're supposed to do. Everybody wants to be six and six, apparently, because right now you have in the north. Oregon 6 and 0, 8 and 1. Oregon State 3 and 3, 4 and 5. Washington 3 and 4, 6 and 4. Stanford 3 and 4, 4 and 5. Cal 2 and 4, 5 and 4. Washington State 1 and 5, 4 and 5. To make a long story short, and then in the south division it looks damn near exactly the same. Every single team in the conference has in between 4 and six wins and me and ralph were trying to figure out we we need some help so if you guys know the answer to this you can send it to I'm at unafraid show.com is there a mathematical possibility that every team in the conference finishes bowl eligible at six and six is it possible ralph
1: yikes I was looking at it. I, it's weird because everyone's between four and six wins except for Oregon and Utah. Uh, so it's a complete mess right now. I remember we joked about that one tweet that had everybody at five and four or four and five, and we're, we're very, very close to having that uh, be something that exists. Um, I, I think USC could pull away a little bit. There are, There are some teams that I think will end up with more than six wins, but my goodness is this – you know what 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 a cluster just a demolition derby of everybody crashing into each other and 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 everybody you know getting banged up and it's it's been a messy year but it feels like it's been like this for a few years uh, i do think they'll probably end up with more bowl eligible teams than 2 years ago when they had 9 bowl yep. teams and went what 1 and 8 or whatever in bowl play it
0: only matters that you yeah, make so it I bro according to and and, and like
1: yeah, you beat me to it. You beat me to it, Larry Scott. It, it only matters that you make it, not whether you win or lose. But I will say cuz I think you were about to uh to to admit that uh that you have to uh join in with me in uh, in oh, ranking yeah. teams above other teams that they lost to. And and I get it, and I'm not going to rub it in. Everybody, you know, ev- everybody busts on the people who have to take welfare checks until they lose their job, right?
0: <laughs> so, so <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> well, see, see, in, in in my defense, it was at that time. I'm I'm a at the point in time kind of person. The uh, the all the information now. Now we have so much information. I I remember I was watching an episode of Brain Games where they talk about that when people have too many choices, it actually makes it more difficult and more information. It actually makes it more difficult to make a decision. If you go to an ice cream parlor that has chocolate, vanilla and strawberry, you are going to, it is easier for you to make a choice than if you go to Baskin Robbins with 31 flavors.
1: You know, I know that's true. And, and,
0: and, and you're, you're around the same age as
1: I am. Because how many Friday nights did you spend 45 minutes just standing in the aisle of Blockbuster
0: not knowing what to do with yourself? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You just said, oh, oh, or or now my wife always gets so upset because when she's like, hey, yo, babe, when we're laying in the bed, let's find something to watch. She says, you flip through Netflix more long. It takes you longer to flip through Netflix to find something to watch than it actually takes to to watch that thing. Yeah, because I'm always (laughs) trying to find the 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 optimal video to watch, the optimal movie or optimal series to start.
1: That was very kind of Netflix to put Blockbuster out of business and then steal their business model of giving us too much stuff for us to figure out
0: what's good. Yep, exactly. So I I prefaced all that to give my (laughs) Pac-12 power rankings. So at number 12, I have Arizona. They didn't play. So guess what? They still they still stink. But they you know, but ironically they ended up falling down in the rankings. And the only reason is because Colorado won. So at number 11, I have Colorado. And then at number um and then at number 11 I have Stanford. I have Stanford at number 11 because like I don't know who this team is. Actually, no, I, I, I uh, amend that. I in that. I'm sorry. I was over here changing as I just stick with what you got, George. Arizona at number 12. Washington State at number 11. You have to go with the results. Yes, they play in the north, but they're one in five in the conference. Stanford at number 10. Colorado, who unexplicably. <laughs> Beat Stanford at number uh nine, Oregon State at eight, then I got Cal at number seven. That's where I'm at. Then what are your top six, Ralph?
1: Um, I'm rocking with uh I'm rocking with Oregon State. Uh and I can't wait to talk about that that Oregon State Washington game. Uh that was strange. Um I'm rocking with Oregon State at number 6. Uh UCLA at number 5. Uh USC who played a very interesting game on the road at Arizona State that I attended. Um it comes in at number 4. Then I've got Washington holding strong at number 3 exactly oh, where stop. I had them last week. Stop. Exactly where I had them last week. Uh with the and, and they're, they're coming at number 3 and then of course Utah then Oregon. Okay.
0: Um I don't know why I have. okay. I I, I guess I was with second half Arizona State when I when I when I made this because I have Arizona State at number six, even though I feel like Cal's a better football team right now, but maybe it was only one week. But Garbers, Garbers may be back next week, maybe back next week. That's what a little birdie told me either next week or the week after for sure. Um, USC, I got USC at number five. This team is, I mean, Clay Clay Helton narrowly escaped getting fired on the tarmac. Washington at number four. They're trending up the standings, I guess. They're three and four now. Um, UCLA at number three. Why is UCLA at number three? Hell, they are, what, they're... Four and two in the conference. That's why. They're at number three. So I, I can't make all, all of this up. And wa- Utah and Washington at number two. I'm sorry, Utah and Oregon at number two and number one. This is just a disaster, dude. I, uh. I mean, like people people praise parody. They're like, yeah, there's so much parody. Parody sucks. Parody sucks when it when it talks about the the perception of the conference because imagine if Oregon and Utah and, you know, like having only two teams ranked is bad because there's such a divide between the haves and the have nots. It's the same thing in the SEC, but the problem is that they, they just have more halves and then the rest of the conference just, it just gets decimated. That's why Arkansas just fired their head coach they get decimated and that's fine. You just want more elite schools. But we can start, Ralph, cuz you're I know you're itching on this with the game on Friday night. Weird stuff happens on Pac-12 after dark. Washington Huskies 19, Oregon State Beaver 7. Make this make sense to me, Ralph.
1: I think it makes sense in the context of nothing on Friday night makes sense. So, you know, it it Oregon State really didn't get to run very many plays. They completely shut Washington. Completely shut down their running game, which is exactly what you need to do. Like J- Jake Luton is very accurate and he helps move this offense down the field. But make no mistake, their running game sets up the, the the passing game. Having to cheat up, having to stuff the box, knowing that they're able to run the ball on you, gives him the ability to go over the top. Gives him the ability to use his accuracy. You know, on medium range throws uh, that that's part of it. So if if you turn that faucet off and they're not able to run the ball, then it is 100 percent on Jake Luton to try to win the game. And he is not he he's a good quarterback, but he's not a star. He he will protect the ball, but he won't go out there and get a win on his own. At least I, I haven't ta- seen him do that yet. He was, 19, he was to nineteen
0: for twenty-eight for eighty-eight yards. He didn't even try to throw the ball down the field. It, it was—I was like, "Are you ever going to try to throw the ball down the, the field?" Because they finished with—I uh, think they finished with a total of like a hundred and like hundred and twenty-nine yards.
1: Yeah, longest. Longest passing play of the night was 21 yards. The next longest was
0: 10. Yeah, there was, 10 yards. Yeah, Unreal. There was, I, mean, I was like, are they going to cross it, I mean, midfield? I mean, one, every single time. One for 13 every sing, on third down.
1: One for 13 on yeah, third and if down. If you didn't watch the game, the
0: only way they scored. So it was Washington 19, Jacob Eason seven, because he threw a pick six. It, it was, I mean, I saw the most of the Oregon State-Utah game, this was a bigger destruction than that. I mean, they literally could not move the ball. They looked like a JV team playing against the varsity.
1: And you know why it doesn't make sense to me?
0: Because
1: Washington didn't sack Jake Luton one time. Not once. So these were a, a lot of this was felt like unforced errors. And then Oregon state who has played some really undisciplined football this year only had four penalties. So it's not like they spent a bunch of time shooting themselves in the foot. They just couldn't play. It was like really the, the, the first time I ever let my kids play NCAA on PlayStation. Like they don't know the buttons. They don't know what to do. It's just bad. It was just bad. I don't this was a terrible performance. I I thought it was terrible
0: by Oregon State. I I I thought that they would be able to perform better because Washington's defense has not been stout. Like it has not. I mean, that's one of the complaints about them. They gave up you know, they gave up twenty thirty three to Utah, thirty-five to Oregon, twenty seven to Arizona. I'm sorry, yeah. 27 to Arizona, 23 to Stanford. You know, like, I i don't understand. Like, I don't know what to make of this team because, yeah, they had a week off, but Oregon State, who we thought had been playing better, just came out opposite day. Their their defense played, played well. But also, let's talk about the elephant in yeah. the room. The elephant in the room is Mr. Jacob Eason. 16 for 32, two interceptions, no touchdowns, 175 yards. He has not looked very, I mean, he was overthrowing, guys. He was awful in the game. I mean, at, at, at one point, Coach Peterson was clearly yeah. like, I'm not letting Jake, uh, Jacob Eason lose this game for us. So, because he almost had another pick too. He almost threw another pick, pick six. So you it, saying Chris Peterson was like, oh. Nope, we're shutting this train down, buddy. We're gonna run the football. So they ran Salvin Ahmed, 25 carries, 178 yards, two touchdowns, Richard Newton, 17 carries. They ran the ball 48 times. They were not gonna let Jake um Jacob Easton ruin this victory for them.
1: Yeah, and I, I want to correct something from earlier because I was reading the stat sheet wrong. It was time sack, not, not sacks. So, I mean, they did get to Luton four different times. Uh, but here's the weird thing about Jacob Eason. And, and week to week is just so bizarre. He has five games, George, where he's thrown for three or more touchdowns this year. He has four games where he's thrown for one or fewer. Three of those, zero. And this isn't even a guy that lets himself get sacked very often. He's been sacked more than twice once this year. That was by Cal. He did not get sacked against Oregon State. He only got sacked once by Oregon, once by Arizona. Didn't get sacked versus BYU, once by Hawaii. And I know that he kind of keeps himself out of trouble by dropping back for eternity. But, I mean, this has been a really bizarre year. And it's starting to, I, I mean, it's it's you're starting to wonder if this is just kind of how Washington's offense works because previous quarterbacks have also run, you know, hot and cold. Um, But it was usually more distributed as like early season, hot, late season, cold. This is oh, from yeah. game to yeah. game. You don't know what you're going to get.
0: When you have performances like that, I think it is clear you need to stay in school because you're, you're, you're 100% right about that. I think, I think,
1: I think he pretty much cemented that he should probably come back.
0: Yeah, cuz he will not be a first round draft pick with the with the hot and cold performances that that he has had. He didn't need you know spectacular performances. He just needed to not have stuff like today, well uh, well the game against Oregon State and then those other games that you talked about where he was just like they didn't win because of him, but they just won. They won one more in spite of him. He wasn't like a zero sum factor. He or even a game manager. He was just he was a net negative.
1: Yeah. So, and I and I know I I've said a lot of good things about him, and he's looked like those things sometimes, yeah. and uh, and other times he's looked very bad. I told,
0: bad. You, I told <laughs> you that you could have him, and he and he's your guy. You can rock and you can rock with him, buddy. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> so lo- looking back, you have you have uh, you uh, get what you deserve, buddy. So <laughs> the, the <laughs> next game up in the conference was Stanford versus Colorado. Ralph, I, I can't make sense of this. I can't. So. Like the Washington, Oregon State game, I thought wa- Oregon State, I mean, if it were if you had told me Washington only scored 19 points. I would have told you that Oregon State won. Like, if you had told me that Washington scored 19 points, I would say, oh, okay, cool. Oregon State must have won that game like 21-19 or something. But no. Um, but Stanford, 13 to Colorado, 16. What? Terrible. How? Terrible. How? I mean – OK, so the, the the reason why I'm so flabbergasted, the reason why I'm so, you know, like in awe and in shock of these results, people, because coming into the game in terms of scoring defense, Colorado was giving up th- almost 35 points a game in terms of total defense. They were giving up 480 yards a game to everybody. Everybody was scoring, or they've given up over 30 points, I think, in every single game this season, at least 30 points.
1: Going into last year, it was like thir- thirteen games in a row of thirty plus. So how
0: how are you, Stanford? And you can't score. You can't score at all on the the leak the second leakiest defense. Only Arizona's worse. How?
1: I don't know. Hey, was it limitation show and tell day? <laughs> like it was it? Was it Stanford? Stanford's job to go out there and 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 showcase everything that they were. Not good at. I mean, so uh JJ Parson, I think got an interception for Stanford. He's a walk-on. So without that, it was just a matter of just these scholarship players, they they did not show up. They did not show up. I <laughs> I uh play the game fourth and one, and they give uh it wasn't really a jet sweep, sort of like an in-tight end around to LaVisca Chennault. And Stuart Head. The six foot four, two hundred and ten pound junior safety for uh, Stanford has Lavisca squared up, hit him in the backfield. I mean, give your give your team a chance to to go out and win, and instead he got trucked. He got trucked, and that was just that that one play to me is the most important play of the game. But that one play to me was indicative of just the entire Stanford performance of like. This game is in your sights. You're right there. You're in perfect position and you just end up on your ass. Which poor, poor Stuart head whose name I did not know before (laughs) he got run over. And now after, after looking him up, I have learned such factoids as he's good friends with Chandler Riggs, Carl from the walking dead. Uh, So now they have, uh, you know, the walking dead and the sitting dead in common. And uh, he once won the shoes off Chris Paul's feet by beating him in a free throw contest. So, um, yeah, but I don't think what happened to him when trying to tackle LaVisca Chenault is going to make his list of career highlights. That was pretty bad. And then also, (laughs) we we got uh, visited again from the ghost of Colorado receivers past. uh, Tony Brown, again, out there making plays. This is a guy coming into the season that you thought was maybe going to be a 30-catch-on-the-year guy. And every good game that they've had, it's been him out there um, making plays. He's been kind of the – to me, he's been – I'd give him most improved player, and he's really been the surprise of the conference uh, thus far. But congratulations to Colorado on getting their first ever win in the last three years after playing Arizona State. <laughs> They're now 1-14 since 2017. Uh, following their game against Arizona State, which is just a almost a, as bizarre of a stat as breaking your streak of uh, <laughs> breaking your streak of thirteen straight thirty plus point games, I, there was not a single good thing in this game for Stanford other than uh, Simi Fahoko, um, who is he, he is an absolute superstar. I mean, he got he had like a third of their total yeah, yards on he, the day on yeah, one. Percentage. He had two He's catches incredible. for
0: ninety six yards and a touchdown, and that play you're talking about with 79 yards. This Stanford team is a disaster. I, I I don't know what what is going on with David Shaw. And when it comes time to pick next year, Pac 12, um, Pac 12 Media Day, who's going to finish first, all of this stuff. Stanford, Stanford and in, in the North, Stanford and Oregon State are going to be fighting for that for that last spot. Which is which is pretty sad. So you don't think this is a
1: down year? You think it's indicative of the future? Yeah, because
0: last year was not like last year. Stanford couldn't run the ball either; they were inconsistent throwing the ball. I am very, very concerned about the future of this Stanford Cardinal program. It is. It does not look like it is headed in the same direction right now.
1: Meanwhile, this has
0: been a great week all
1: around for Colorado. We, you know, we already talked about them getting a five-star transfer uh, commit, but I mean, this is the, definitely, definitely, an, a very, very interesting uh, week for Colorado. All of a sudden, things are on the upswing. They can play defense. Lavisca Chenault's healthy. Um, they got a what, they got a rushing touchdown from Montez. He's out there running for running for scores. We got He's bad Montez, and they insurance. still won.
0: It, it was terrible. So, uh, the, I mean, there was, I know. Okay. When we talk about the game of the century, all these amazing games that we've seen this year, this was the opposite. It it was the only (laughs) people that watched this game (laughs) from cover to cover were either had a, an investment in the game, like a bet or their family or friends were playing in the game. I mean, or I mean, There wasn't any there was nothing intriguing that could keep you watching this game while the other games were were on. I mean, there were so many other college football games on at the exact same time that you I mean, the end of the LSU uh, Alabama game was on. There was uh, USC Arizona was on like there was nothing to keep you on Pac-12 network. If you had it at all ready to watch this football game, it probably was one of the lowest rated games of the entire year. If the Pac 12 put out their rank, if their ratings, uh, the next game up was very surprising to me. The your um, your Arizona State Sun Devils hosted USC, and all I saw all week was. Arizona State fans saying, no, no, Oregon, don't don't get Clay Helton fired. We want to do it. That's our job. And and before you could blink, USC was up 28 to 7. And then all of a sudden, and then so I was like, okay, well, Arizona State is playing with their backup quarterback yelling. He didn't look all that great. And you know, first couple, couple quarters. Then all of a sudden I flipped back. Well, actually, I had it on, so I have two TVs in my, in my game room and I was watching. And so I had one on the Alice Alabama LSU game the whole time. And then the other one I'm flipping back and forth and then except for at halftime and stuff like that. And I, and then I flipped off the Arizona state USC game for a few minutes. Then I flipped back and I'm like, hold up. Arizona state is close. And then and no Benjamin fumbled. And then I was like, Oh, I get, I guess they're not going to make it. And then they keep coming back, and USC could not score. How, how, Ralph? I don't understand what the hell is going on with Arizona State. I thought they would play better after Dubai. They came out slow and sluggish. Then they tightened up, or was it USC being bad?
1: Uh weird game. we will just throw it out there. I mean, this is—I—it's I, been a long time since I've ever seen it. You know. Anything quite like this, I've definitely never seen anybody throw over 297 in the first quarter. And uh, let's just set the stage for how bizarre this game was. First, Jaden Daniels misses the game, which none of us knew was going to happen. And uh, the way that that story got broken is Herm Edwards was on the most popular sports podcast on the planet, uh, pardon my take, and he must have let it slip. To, to those guys, to PFT Commenter and Big Cat. He must have because PFT Commenter has a Twitter account that he created for his dog, and his dog breaks stories sometimes. And it's this whole dumb bit. Uh, and, uh, and so PFT Commenter's dog, who has like 75,000 followers on Twitter, breaks the story before any LA or Arizona media can that Jaden Daniels isn't going to be starting in the game. Which then, I then found out that there are a lot of people who have never actually heard of Leroy, the PFT commenter news-breaking dog. So, so, uh, you know, and, and I think that you probably have to listen to the show to know about that, but a simple Google search would probably help someone figure out what was going on. Instead, we had, uh, we had people take it seriously down here in Arizona that were like, I don't know who this reporter is that signs off all his tweets with bark, bark, but he doesn't <laughs> even have a last name. So I don't know if we can depend on him to be, <laughs> him to be a credible source. And then, so, uh, and then so on the rival side, my old boss, Hodorbino, he's like, no, nah, I checked with sources. It's true. <laughs> you know, credit to Leroy the dog. <laughs> but Jaden Daniels is going to be missing the game because Joshua Woods uh, uh, did an alligator roll with his ankle. You know, he got him by the ankle, and then he did a couple extra. You know, I, I believe that uh, the, ki- the people in the 70s would have called it a good tackle, and the kids nowadays – would call it dirty af. <laughs> and so uh Jaden Daniels is you know he 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 he's going to miss the game. So now you have Joey Yellen who played at Mission Viejo High School. He transferred uh I believe from St. John Bosco when he yeah. saw DJ Uy- Uya coming, who is the second coming of Cam Newton. So yeah, so he transferred out to Mission Viejo. He had a uh You know, it came down to, I I believe he committed to Arizona State, and then Georgia came in late. He stuck with ASU, and then Jaden Daniels committed later. So Jaden Daniels beats out uh, everybody, and Joey Yellen actually beats out the redshirt junior, Dylan Sterling Cole, who was on the roster to be the number two quarterback. I drove out to L.A. last year to watch him play. He's a great quarterback. He's very, um, if you had to compare him to anybody, probably Jay Cutler and take away all the connotation of like being a, a longtime NFL fan and all the things you don't like about Jay Cutler, I'm talking Jay Cutler coming out of Vanderbilt, Jay Cutler. He's going to be a really talented quarterback. So, And then you have Keaton Slovis, who did not get an ASU offer, even though ASU went to see him throw a couple of times, uh, and, and he played at a high school 15 miles away from ASU. Yellen didn't get a USC offer, Slovis didn't get an ASU offer, so here we go, revenge game, right? Slovis throws for 297 yards and four touchdowns in the first 11 and a half minutes of the game. And then USC scores three the rest of the way. Joey Yellen produces one yard of offense in the first quarter for Arizona State, and then goes on to throw four touchdowns, almost brings them back. It ended up being a pretty good game. Uh, Fans down here are pretty frustrated with Arizona State, feel like they've, yeah, Herm keeps things close, but they've been on the losing end of quite a bit of, of a bit of these games. They're twelve and ten under Herm Edwards, and people are wondering how that's better than Todd Graham. And there's some people frustrated that it's possible that Herm let it slip, you know, <laughs> that they could prepare for another quarterback because he told to the equivalent of sports Howard Stern um, about about Jaden Daniels' injury. Uh, and so, it, it, definitely a weird situation, weird game. I think USC played well. I think the Clay Helton haters got the best of both worlds. They got to have a victory and also have a bunch of stuff to complain about uh, because ASU very easily could have won that game at the end if Christian Rector doesn't bat that ball to himself and get an interception to, uh, to seal the game. So, um, they, and again, you and I talked about how good these USC receivers are. They showed out. Uh, but then again, Arizona State dominated this game for three-plus quarters, so it's really hard to know how to feel if you're an ASU fan, but USC fans, I mean, they're done. They're, they're done, done with Clay Helton. And we actually have an interview, George, uh, with Ryan Young, the publisher of the USC rival site, trojansports.com. So I'll go ahead and throw to that. Ralph Amston with the PAC 12 apostles podcast. I'm up here in the press box, uh, Arizona state with Ryan Young, the uh, publisher, trojansports.com. And, uh, Ryan, what did I mean what a weird game today. Let's let's just start with the obvious before we get into everything that's going on with with, with USC. USC comes out throws for 300 yards, four touchdowns in the First quarter, first, not first not first quarter, first 11 and a half minutes. 28-7 lead. Exactly. And then uh, and then hangs on for dear life, so effectively. Three points the
2: rest of the game?
1: Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen a game like that? I mean, this is, a, it, a, this is an interesting one.
2: So you said weird. It's not weird to those of us who cover this team. In fact, I started writing a column during the game that this game had all the hall- hallmarks of a USC game from the last two years. An unsustainable, strong start. Backbreaking penalties, special teams breakdown, key injuries somewhere in the course of the game with Keaton Slovis going out for a few series. I mean, we, we've just seen this formula in some form or fashion play out so many times where games like this get away from them. And make no mistake, this game did get away from them. They, they held on to win but by the skin of their teeth, but it did get away from them. And it's just... Uh, I, so many examples from the last two years that would fit this same mold to me. You know, the, some of the numbers are different. Throwing for 297 in the, in the first quarter is obviously an outlier. That doesn't happen much.
1: <laughs> Outliers, was the word was designed for this occurrence. Yeah,
2: I, I saw this on ESPN, uh, at least according to their research, it was the most passing yards in any quarter by a college football quarterback in at least 15 years. So that's just insane. <laughs> but if you, if you look at just the, the broader themes of the game, it really was not out of character for this team.
1: You've I've covered Keaton Slovis at the high school level. Yeah. You co- you covered him at the college level, you know. I think that there are some you know people would want to paint this as like a revenge game for him. He was always going to USC. The second that he got that opportunity, he was going to lock it in. He's a nice kid. I mean, he had probably, probably had to feel good. I'm sure, right? But he's not the kind of guy that was like just waiting to go out there and get his revenge. He's just it's the rhythm of the offense.
2: That's, that's definitely not his personality at all. He is the most low key, you know, reserved hyper-focused on the task at hand kind of guy. I knew a lot about his recruitment. I knew that Arizona was going to offer him after he committed and, and then didn't. I didn't really know what the story was with Arizona State, so I asked him this week. And if you've watched any of his press conferences in season, they're very quick. He doesn't say a whole lot. He's always polite, great kid, but he's not super revealing. So I asked him that question about Arizona State, and this big smile flashed across his face, and he paused well like, oh, he's going to give us something. He didn't say anything. He didn't want to go, <laughs> he didn't want to go there. So, so may, um, maybe there's a tinge extra motivation, but no, I, I can't imagine that he spent more than a minute or so thinking about that this week at all.
1: This is going to be a weird question. I've never had to ask it before because no, oh, I've boy. never been in this situation. Down five, two minutes left, Joey Yellen, who is also a freshman, is yeah. driving Arizona State down the field. Is there a faction of USC fans that want them to score? That wants Arizona State to score? Right there is that? I mean, is that is, is are I, there I, people that want Clay Helton gone so bad that they right turn to rooting against the
2: immediate success of the team? I understand the question, and I think that that would be true earlier in the season. I think at this point, everyone assumes that it's going to happen not,
1: anyway. So okay,
2: um, I, I, okay. I, I think earlier in the season. I mean, we've had debates on the message board with people expressing that sentiment and then getting railed upon by everyone else, going, you support your team no matter what. And then what you see is during games, if they got down early, if they were behind, if it looked like it was going poorly, then a lot of the the Clay haters would come up and go, well, at least this means we're one game closer to Clay being gone. So there's definitely some of that sentiment at times. At this point, though, there's not a single person in the USC fan base or community, I think, maybe besides Clay Helton, who thinks that this is still up in the air.
1: If uh, if a USC fan could have their choice tomorrow, like your typical USC fan could have their choice tomorrow, of Larry Scott being removed as commissioner of the conference or Clay Helton being removed as the head coach of USC, <laughs> what, what do you think they would choose?
2: As, as much as both of those would appeal to them, uh, no question, Clay Helton. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's tough for those who cover of us who cover him because he's such a nice and genuine guy. He's guide. a good man. Like He, he isn't. He's, he's he, he, a good man. You'd like to see him succeed. But it's clear to everyone now that this program is just at a ceiling with him. I mean, case in point, his whole mantra this pre- all season and preseason was that he's going to step back from the offensive defense and focus on, quote, the discipline of the game, making us a more disciplined team that doesn't make mistakes. And they've been as bad as ever in that department all year. He hasn't been able to fix any of the problems that plague his pro- program. And even the most ardent and loyal and final supporters have kind of fallen off the bandwagon in recent weeks, and everyone just wants change and a fresh start for USC football because at this point no one believes that, he can have a truly great season with this program without Sam Darnold. I mean, he, obviously yeah. he won the Rose Bowl, he took him to a Pac-12 title, but he's gotten almost no credit for that from the fan base. And what's happened in the last two years has only served to validate the people who thought that, that they were doing that despite him those two years, which I, I would not say is fair. I think, you know, you're the coach of the team, you deserve credit for that success. But we're talking about a team that's now 11 and 11 over the last two years to this Great point. Great point. USC football 11 and 11
1: through almost two seasons. It's time for change. Okay, so I could ask you a million questions, mm-hmm. but I literally interrupted your work to put you in the that's position okay. to answer some of mine. And so uh, let's let's end with this. Early signing day has created an interesting predicament for anybody looking to make a move. Florida State just moved on from, mm-hmm. from Willie Taggart. They did it early. And that's not to say that USC is in contention for maybe the same names as somebody in the deep southeast. But this recruiting class that USC is putting together is uncharacteristically mediocre. And, you know, I, you and I cover recruiting. We know these kids. And just like Clay Helton, good kids, mm-hmm. good man. But the standard is the standard. And it needs to be elevated for, for a school like USC. My question to you is, with the early signing day, like absorbing almost 70% of the talent at this point, should USC fans basically temper their expectations as far as what can happen in the class of 2020 and maybe have their attention turned to 2021? I
2: think you have to. and. The reason why it's not the end of the world is because this was going to be a small class anyway. They had limited scholarships. They went all in last year. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a class in the mid-teens this year, maybe a little more now because they've had some attrition. So and they're pretty well-stocked at most spots, so they're not going to feel it immediately. I just don't see a path to recovery at this point. They're in the mid-60s right now, and obviously you know, some of those kids are going to outperform the ranking, but on the whole... It's a pretty good. Not everybody's Where that class is. So, I mean, this fan base has put all its eggs in the Urban Meyer basket. And that's the one guy who could come in and steal a few guys late. Could maybe talk to Justin Flo in the staying home. Maybe, maybe get back in the Bryce Young conversation. Probably not. But, you know, that's the way the fan base thinks. Yeah. That he's the one guy that could have a demonstrative impact immediately. And because of that, they've kind of set themselves up for, if it's not Urban Meyer, there's going to be disappointment, which is just a really tough position to be in because no one knows how that's going to play out. So it's going to be a very interesting few weeks. I don't expect the recruiting class to be dramatically overhauled unless that is the outcome and he's able to work his magic. I think fans have to accept this is not going to be a USC class in 2020.
1: All right. Man, this was awesome. I, I, again, still have a million questions. But then let's just make it a regular thing. Have you back on Pac-12 Apostles as soon as possible? Anytime,
0: Ralph. Wow, man, that was a good that was a good get, buddy. So USC, I mean, it's clear here, living here, that everybody is done with Clay Helton. But do you think the new athletic director, who did the right thing, Mike Bone, was like, you know, it's too early to tell on Clay Helton. Let's see a good football coach is finish strong. So if he finishes eight and four, can he keep his job? No, he shouldn't. They're done. I mean,
1: it, it's it, they're they're done. And uh, keeping him, it, he would have such a razor thin margin for error that if they started next year, oh, and one, he could get fired. So, why, why even get into that? I think it's pretty much universal that the. It, USC's entire fan base is ready to move on. I personally believe that they would go eight and four, and it would be good enough to keep him. Because I also thought they'd win the Pac-12 South, but they've pretty much blown that. So even though they do have that win over uh, over Utah, they have a chance to go eight and four. But I don't think it's going to be enough to be number one in in the Pac-12 South unless Utah really slips up.
0: Uh, And so, yeah. Here Here is the problem that USC is facing. People haven't brought it up. The truth is this Ralph. They are staring September 5th, 2020 in the face. And looking at what happened I think in 2018 when they played Alabama and Alabama absolutely wrecked them. Wrecked them. And I, I, oh, no, no, it was three years ago because it was Sam Darnold came in to come play after that. So Alabama wrecked them. September 5th, 2020, they play Alabama in Arlington. The same Alabama that's probably not going to make the playoff and is going to be super mad. And all those freshmen on defense are going to be sophomores. <laughs> and yet, who was going to be, be gone, but Bryce Young will find a way to be a good quarterback. Uh, they're staring that in the face and they're trying to drum up some way to get a victory or not look terrible in that game. And I don't think that even hiring, even hiring urban Meyer between now and then is not going to fix the problem. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that
1: I think that the current trajectory, the trajectory that they are on is a couple year fix. Well, but I mean, who wouldn't want to be to have an opportunity to go through a rebuild with such high quality products (laughs) to work with? I mean, they still are going to have some really, really good players on both sides of the ball that form the core of whatever they try to build
0: next. So is James Franklin a good enough hire? Because, mind you, people uh, dump on Jim Harbaugh all the time. James Franklin doesn't win on the road versus ranked teams either. Yeah, he inherited a worse situation maybe than Michigan. Doesn't get the same type of recruits. But people often question his game management skills and all of that as well. So I don't even – dude, I think that they just need to hire a really good football coach and stop worrying about that Alabama game because that, cause that Alabama game is already a loss. Just just let it go. And, George,
1: there's a really good football coach out there that I, I don't know if they could get their hands on him. You'd probably know better than me, but he's got West Coast ties. He's a good recruiter. He can build a staff. And and USC's biggest issue is they need somebody credible to build up Willie this Taggart. defense so that when that offense goes to work, it's not Willie Taggart. I'm talking about Justin Wilcox. Oh,
0: dude, th- Justin Wilcox would not go back to USC. Th- they could offer you don't him think a so? billion dollars. He wouldn't go back. I'm. I'm t- is it is just 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 the lifestyle and scrutiny thing? Because I he honestly think he was a defensive coordinator I, there. Re- re- remember, yeah, and that's the only place that he did not do well. He didn't like the culture there. He didn't like you know all like the the good old boys network there, and they're not. And he's not a big enough name. I don't think that they will be willing to change the way they do business wholesale.
1: Yeah, I just think you you would have the opportunity to set the culture, right. And, and, and I know that the, the belief really is that the culture is bigger than whoever the man is in that seat. But in my opinion, that's just probably because you have a guy who's a little bit too nice to be there in Clay Helton. I think the right personality who keeps their nose to the grindstone could go in there, take the bull by the horns, and get something done. The truth is, though, George, there is no perfect candidate available yep. for this job. I think that J- James Franklin would be a good personality, might not be the best coach. I think that Justin Wilcox could be the right coach, not the right personality. And obviously you've pointed out the history and I get that no matter how successful Mike Norvell is at Memphis, if the ASU job was to ever open up, they'd never bring him back here. And so, you know, that, that just sort of ha you coordinators are, it's a lot easier to burn your bridge if you're a coordinator in a place uh, than if you were, I mean, you'd be more likely to hire back a previous head coach.
0: Yep. A hundred percent.
1: Like Lane. Kishner. Oh my
0: lord! Oh, imagine that. <laughs> Lane Lane would take that job at a heartbeat, buddy. Lane would be excited, and USC fans would be like, "Ah, well, it it, it wasn't that bad, right?" I mean, I don't know who right. is going to quit their job to take that job. Oh, do you do you know who would take this job? Absolutely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Well, chairs. yeah, but but <laughs> Matt Rule at Baylor. You can get Matt Rule at Baylor, okay, and, or you can get the coach at you could. Uh, at you could Iowa State. I forgot his name. Um, yes, Matt Campbell. Okay, so I, oh, I think
1: Ames, Iowa, is the perfect place for Matt Campbell. But I, he is a he is a name yeah. in demand. Those
0: are two names that you. I mean, and Matt Rule has. There's no the only two people who have inherited worst jobs. Have been like Bill O'Brien at Penn State after the Joe Paterno thing, and Matt Rule at Baylor after the Bryles debacle and all the sexual assault allegations and all of that. You didn't. Nobody wanted that job, and he and they went one eleven, and now he's got him undefeated right now, sitting at nine and zero. I know their their non conference schedule's trash, but that's a rebuild, dude. That's a rebuild. And P.J. Fleck is not available. But if I were USC, I would be like, P.J., seven and a half mil. Come on, come on, buddy. I mean, that's the that's the only thing that you can do. Um, but the last team up that we got, it, the last game that we got up, is uh, Washington State and Cal. Washington State 20, Cal 33. And I first of all, I can't believe Cal scored 33 points because since Chase Garbers has been out, they have only averaged – Eight and a half points a game, and Washington State obviously the air raid is built to throw for a lot of yards. They throw for what? They score forty, yeah, forty-one points a game. I think. Uh, Five hundred and twenty-one yards of total offense. Four thirty-six through the through the air. Gordon's
1: hit list of throwing for four hundred yards. I think he 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 adds Cal. And they're great defensive backs. He did it to Arizona State. He did it to Oregon. It's just what he does. Doesn't yeah. mean that it, it results in wins, but. Yeah. And so it, I it, it's just was talking
0: does. to some people, some very good d- defensive people, about who have stopped Washington State numerous times. And they told me the secret to stopping the air raid offense. And it's quite simple. But the problem is most people don't have the discipline to do it. You you have to, you cannot, well, you make them throw, because everything is built upon space. Even Mike Mike Leach talked about it on one of the game day pieces. It's built upon space, and he talked about it on the HBO thing. Space, levels, and stretching the defense vertically and horizontally at the same time. So what you have to do is, you have to make them throw the ball underneath make them throw those shallow crosses the little 2 3 yard crosses and check the ball down to the backs and when they do come up and tackle do not try to stop those little short passes and and then a dig a big 16 12 yard digger post is coming right behind to replace you when you go take it because the reality is if you make them st- take 12 15 plays to uh, score and they constantly have to to take checkdowns the quarterback is going to eventually make a bad throw somebody's going to drop a pass they're going to have a penalty you know and you just make them kick field goals all game because they're going to move the ball and pile up a lot of yards but teams often get impatient in trying to stop them but in reality you just have to make them just they can play between the 20s because what happens is is Washington State wants to score before they get to the 15 yard line, because once they get to the 15 yard line, there's not enough space because of the back of the end zone for them to be able to stretch you vertically and horizontally. That's why and they don't run the ball well enough, that's why you see them struggle down there so many times. They're always trying to fit things in. There's so much like timing stuff when they get on the goal line because there's not enough space. So that's how you stop the air raid offense. That's how Cal has done it. Year after year, they make you throw, they make them throw the ball underneath. They don't take the cheese and try to take the short stuff. They give up two, three, four yards of a catch. And then eventually drop ball, sack, overthrown ball, something. And then you'll get an interception.
1: So what you're saying is that ASU fans shouldn't have been mad at Jack Jones for giving up 16 receptions against Washington State when he had five pass deflections and 11 solo tackles.
0: Uh, Yeah, that, but also in that game, they gave up some big plays too. You just have to just sit back, let them throw the ball three, four yards, and come up and tackle. Tackling is the most important thing against the ARA. Tackling and don't take the cheese and let them get deep. Make them throw everything underneath and tackle the football. That's how Cal beats Washington State every year or gives them major league trouble.
1: And somehow, and they ended up getting, I, I was looking, it looked like they had five or six
0: tackles for yep. loss, which is pretty tough to do against, against Washington State. They don't even give you time to get there. Yep, well, well, the, the majority of those, there were a couple on the run plays, but the majority of them were, uh, were like throwing the ball to Max Borghi out of the backfield and then getting tackled there. So that's how a lot of that happened. Okay, so ask me th-
1: or answer me this, George. Are we so in love with offense? Because, I mean, we just watched Cliff Kingsbury fail upward into the Arizona Cardinals' head coaching job, right, for, for, being, for not being able to play any defense at Texas Tech, but he, he could run Mike Leach's system, and so everybody wants to score points. Mike Leach is losing and losing and losing, but he's a sexy name for all of these open head coaching positions all over the country.
0: Why is that? That's a good point, dude. Because Arizona Cardinals, Ky- Kyler Murray today, 324 yards, three touchdowns, and he was their leading rusher with three carries for 38 yards. That's the problem with the air raid. And he broke.
1: I mean, he, but he
0: also he broke the
1: NFL record for most pass attempts without an interception. So, like, they, you, those – but, again, they lost. They lost because you have to have somebody that – that understands the defensive side of, of the football as well, do you really think that Mike Leach could survive in Tallahassee? But, but I'm falling victim to it too. When, when Arkansas opened today, I was like,
0: damn, that'd be a great place for Mike Leach. <laughs> See, exactly. You are, you are right. We fall too in love with the offense and instead of paying attention to what the optimal way to win football games is. And there are some coaches who I've talked to who are good defensive coaches around around the country, they said they wouldn't go. They wouldn't go coach with an air raid coach because the majority of time they are not concerned about the defensive side of the football. So you don't get fair time in coach in practice. You don't get the emphasis that there's so much time that 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 happens. So that's where that lies there. Who's feeling better about themselves right now? Tracy Clays or
1: Marcel Yates watching their replacements absolutely scramble to do anything with the same oh, personnel? it's
0: Tracy Clays because Arizona state I mean because Arizona only played one game without Marcel Yates and Washington State has played two right two or two or three. And neither one of them went. And gave up
1: 33 to a Cal team that couldn't score yep. double digits. So,
0: yep. Yeah, so, but it might be Marcel Yates in a couple of weeks. He might be the happiest guy. Say, oh, really? Oh, really? You thought it was me, huh? All right. All right. Let me know how this works out for you. I got one
1: more question for you. Does Cal make a bowl? Let's just, let's throw, let's throw Garbers out. Let's say, because you, you figure he's coming back. You got inside information. What if he doesn't? They got three games left. I think they got what like U- USC, UCLA, Oregon State, or something like that. They need one more win to make a bowl. Oh,
0: I, I'm going to be picking them to to beat USC this week. Oh, dang! Okay, because Keaton Slovis got got hurt, he and did, yeah. and and he had tears in his eyes. He he didn't come back in the game, right?
1: He did come back.
0: He did. Oh, he did. Uh, yeah.
1: Think through think through six passes, and then uh, Slovis came back in. What's crazy is I think Slovis threw for I wanna say a hundred yards in the final three quarters.
0: I'm looking at Cal. I think that Cal has a because because remember, Cal's defense is the most complicated for uh Pac-12 quarterbacks. And Slovis is a rookie. And and they absolutely put um put the quarterback last year, JT Daniels, in a mental headlock i mean in terms of making reads and all of that they're gonna do the same thing to slovis if monster can even play remotely as good as he did against washington state even anywhere near they will beat usc i'm letting you know that right now and then they got stanford obviously they have a good chance against stanford stanford just lost stanford just lost to colorado who, whose defense is Swiss cheese so imagine what Cal's defense is going to do to Stanford I mean but but then this is the Pac-12 who the hell knows Stanford might score 50 points and then and then there, Cal yes. plays at UCLA which is going to be a L because UCLA is going to make a bowl game I'm letting you know that right now bro did you hear me Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Sorry, I was just sending you that. Okay. I, no, no. I just wanted. To, I I figured that there must have been some uh, some wax in your ears when I said that UCLA was making a bowl game, the, the same team you said was going to win one game.
1: Right. And I and I was sitting in the silence, uh, just uh, wondering how we got here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. Oh. Also, guys, there's a cool article up on Unafraid Show. Um. I didn't. I didn't write. It was by one of our really good good writers, Jeremy McCarthy. Um, he wrote an article last last week. So m- mind you, he lives in Seattle and he's a Washington fan. But some kind of way, the la- actually this could be his Washington hate showing. In the last two weeks, he's written articles saying that Utah is better than Oregon, and this week Tyler Huntley is the best quarterback in the in the Pac-12 mind you he's a stats and figures guy so he's got all type of pro football talk numbers and all of this stuff and if you would like either a good laugh or if you would like to jump on the, the bandwagon there's that um we appreciate your time we appreciate your energy thank you guys for listening to the pack 12 apostles make sure you guys share the feed tell a friend about the pack 12 apostles and uh peace out we will catch you guys on thursday